I wasn't 100% sure that we would find them. I mean, we were climbing up and down and up and down. And then all of a sudden, I looked up and there was just this, this one head looking at me. It was like it was meant to be. They, they found us, actually, I think. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Karen and Mark Bennett. Karen and Mark are husband and wife who have different passions but have found a way to marry them perfectly. Mark is a committed sailor and Karen is a passionate animal and wildlife photographer. Historically their journeys have seen them focus solely on the sailing but more recently they've integrated Karen's photography into their adventures. Their last major journey saw them sail up from their home base in the south of England up to the Hebrides through northern Scotland and then onto the Faroe Islands all in pursuit of wild horses. In this episode, we spend a lot of the time we had together speaking about this journey in particular. How did it come about? What actually happened? Why are they both so driven by their own independent passions? And what has it been like to merge them together? It's a broad and far-reaching conversation with an under-the-radar couple who are just quietly doing the things that they love. Before we begin, I'd like to talk to you about Sidetrack magazine, our sister publication. Sidetracked is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help, and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Karen and Mark Bennett. Ace, well, thanks very much for doing this. I think we'll we'll start at the start. Um, to give us some context, I think sort of one after the other, tell me who you are and what you do, whatever that means to you. Ladies first? No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm obviously Karen and um, I'm a pet and equine photographer um, and a mum and a wife and, yeah, and... That's me, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but now, hang on a minute. So, so if we look at the the photography aspect of it, yeah, you are actually a very good photographer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind. <laughs> so, I think Karen is so unbelievably modest about what she does and never talks about how well she does it but actually yeah but that's because I just love what I do I think and I don't see it as being you know this amazing thing it's just how I I I suppose it's it's getting I I love animals Mm. so for me I can be with the animals I can be in a location and feel feel at one I suppose with an animal I don't know I don't know what it is I just well your jockey background what about when you I mean your your, your horse background the fact that you were a semi-professional um jockey you know and and the connection you have with the animals I think 
as your husband and as somebody who sort of sits here on the outside looking in, the images like that one on the wall, which Matt unfortunately can't see, but that image is the connection between Karen and the animal, the wild horse. You know, it's like that does not happen with, you know, anybody just picking up a camera and sitting in front of an animal. Getting as close as that to that animal is extraordinary. And actually, it's not a set-up scene. It's not somebody dragging the animal into an environment that looks great. It's finding it in nature and taking it, that shot. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's interesting because I, I obviously sort of know enough of the background to know where we might go with this. But when, when somebody says, you know, I'm an equine and, and pet photographer in a sense, that, and I being deliberately, you know, that, that sounds almost domestic. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a let me come to your house and do this thing. But actually, that's not strictly true. You, of course, do that, but you do other things, right? Yes, yes. I mean, my, my pet, the dogs and things, um, and I, I do do horses for my clients as well, but that's more, it is a bit more of a setup thing. Whereas the thing that I'm really passionate about is going out and looking for the animals that are just roaming free and capturing them as they are in their own environment and having a connection with them. So outside of any sort of professional or commercial world, are you a wildlife photographer? I could be a wildlife photographer, most definitely. I would absolutely love that. Well, I'm being deliberately difficult. I mean, if you go out into the natural world and photograph wildlife, regardless of whether or not you're being paid to do it, are you a wildlife photographer? Yes, I think I am. Excellent. Right. Because <laughs> I think that's where we're going with a lot of this. I mean, it's, yeah, I'll save it for now. But okay, yeah. then, Mark. Well, I mean, I, I am, um, in my work life, I'm a nutritional scientist. Uh, so I work in clinical practice on an integrative basis with people that have chronic, when I use the word chronic, that means long-term health conditions. And um, I love what I do. You know, I'm very lucky to work with the people that I do. I run a private clinic. It's just a one-man band. You know, it's me and it's my sort of second career. I sort of, you know, was lucky enough to be able to change the book, so to speak, um, about 15 years ago. So, I'm very fortunate to be able to have another bite at another career and um, and it's definitely what I'm here, what I'm meant to be doing. You know, I'm here to do this and I feel very much that is my calling. So that's what I do. Um, sailing is a very large part of my life. I've sailed boats since the age of six um, and I lived in, so you know, I lived, lived down in Southwest Ireland as a young man. Very lucky again to be living in the wild on an island off Ireland, you know, no mains water, no electricity. Everything was, you know, literally fish for your food, farm for your food. Um, boats, sailing was just a natural part of that whole process. And that's how I got completely addicted to the sea. Um, and we as a family have sailed for a long time. But this has all been about cruising, about seeing places, about using sailing as a mechanism to travel. Um, and that's been, I've been very lucky to have a family that will, you know, come with me. Um, haven't scared them to death too much. I think we did have some interesting stories right early on. But, uh, but you know, who doesn't, you know, when you go out to sea and do these things? Um, and I suppose leading into this conversation we suddenly realized about a year ago that, you know, we've got this amazing tool, this boat, and Karen has this passion to go and find 
equine on an equine basis free roaming animals and we thought well look there's loads of free roaming horses all over the uk um why don't we do everything together you know just just go sailing as a an incredible thing to get around and go to places go to islands you know when you think about the islands that we've been to up on the the west coast of scotland you know up towards shetland and then up to Faroes. You know, it, it's been an amazing journey. And uh, just the sailing journey itself is incredible. But then when you actually combine that with the whole process of actually finding these wild animals, um, that's, that's, that was a, you know, a great concept for us. And we thought, well, let's do it. So luckily, because we both work for ourselves, we were able to arrange the time that was needed and we did it in chunks. So we didn't just, you know, we left, we left the South um, coast we left Lymington um, end of April this year and we did everything in chunks of time so we'd spend two to three weeks getting the boat to a particular location try and do however many photography shoots we could do on the way leave the boat there come back get on with some work to pay for the whole thing and then go back take the boat from there and carry on the journey and that that's literally how we started the process. I think it's really interesting uh, correct me if I'm wrong that you've essentially had these kind of split hobbies and interests as often couples do. And particularly if you're lucky enough to have a passion and a hobby, um, naturally want to support each other, et cetera. But it sounds like these things have lived separately. And if I may say so, it's taken you a while to get to the point where you go, hang on. We can do the two. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're, we're grandparents, so absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's taken a long time. Yeah. So when... But he found finally dangled the carrot you see in front of my nose so so karen to what extent and the horses karen yeah well quite yeah and to, <laughs> to what extent has sailing formed a part of your life before this opportunity and this trip is that to karen, karen yeah sorry oh me yeah um I, I had nothing to do with sailing at all not even being yeah i'd not been on a boat till i met mark <laughs> It was quite interesting. I met him and I certainly had to get into um, the mindset of sailing, which was quite difficult, especially as you um, sailed a catamaran for one per one person. Well, when we met, yes. I yeah. mean, I was racing catamaran dinghies at the time. So racing was a big part of my life. Um, but dinghies, you know, all kinds of dinghies. Um, so that was that was a big part of, you know, of my world before we got together. And then... Um, I said to you when we first met that I was disappearing across the Atlantic, which I did. Yeah. Um, so that was something I had to get out of my system. <laughs> yeah. Um, you and did that within, what, weeks, wasn't it? Of meeting uh, you, when, yes. When mm. we met each other. Not that that was the intention, to leave you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was already but set. That's the first thing he said to me when we met each other. I'm going to sail across the Atlantic. So if I may pry and you can say no, what did that, how did that make you feel? You know, you've met this guy and suddenly he's going off to sell the Atlantic. Uh, I was actually pretty impressed in all really that he was actually going to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, yeah, I, I think, I think I quite enjoyed the, the adventure thought of it, you know? I mean, I was always, um, a person that was outside anyway so it was yeah it was quite intriguing and then you know there's the there's the romantic view of wow I've met this sailor and he's doing this amazing yeah. thing 
Then yeah. what happened when you started getting into it? What were those first few trips like? Scary. Hmm. Well, we had the children as well when we first got the boat. Four and six. They were yeah, the they time. were ages four and six. And um, I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. Um, but we built uh, some phenomenal memories, though. I mean, we did. I mean, the first trip we had, we we got into trouble because we got caught on the lobster pot, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, I mean, the, there and, were. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> and you know, I, I, there, there was, there was four of us on the boat, and we were going to pool, pool, pool. Yeah. and um, we got snarled up on this lobster pot. Um, the rope got wrapped around the rudder and the prop, and it was a right old mess. It really was. And the sea, it was, it was, it wasn't a ridiculous sea, but it was for me, you know, because I'd not really experienced that. And um, and of course, both the girls were crying because they didn't know what we were going to do. And there was a sort of a little sense of panic. Um, and Mark, actually, you had to go. I went. I went overboard into the yeah. water. Mm. So I made him tie tie rope on, and he went down. And he had the girls. He had the girls. Um, snorkel. <laughs> it was ridiculous. You know, five and six, like really tight around his head. And uh, you, you then got seasick. And I, then, yeah, I was throwing up over the side. And I was in the water. The girls were nice. crying, but as soon it was really weird because as soon as Mark went over the side, the girls stopped crying. And I wasn't really sure why, but now thinking about it, they obviously thought something was going to be done and it's all going to be fine. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you did cut it. You cut us free. And then... Well, we had the anchor down. We then lost the anchor because the anchor was then caught on something. It was getting dark. You know, it's a classic sort of so series to... of events that, you know, things lead on to things. And, of course, what tends to happen is not normally a cataclysmic event that that causes problems. It's the series of events that leads to a really big event happening. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was, it was, it was a, it was a real wake up call. And I think what one under, what one, what I know as a, as a sailor of many, many years now, and having done tens and tens of thousands of miles is that every day is a school day. And, you know, every time you go out, something else can happen that you've never experienced. And you just must not be cocky and you must not assume that, you know, you are in control and everything's hunky-dory because it will bite you in the backside. As simple as that. Yeah. And I suppose it's a really different environment. You know, you setting out to go and solo sail somewhere as a competent individual, confident, but willing to be wrong, et cetera. That's one thing, but taking your family, that's a whole different game. Yeah. Well, we had to, we had to, after the event, we had to, we had to, we got to Paul and we had a family meeting, didn't we, about we did. it, you know, to discuss whether people wanted to carry on, ask the children what their feelings were, even though they were only four and six. And it was really important, you know, because we didn't want to terrorize anybody. You know, it's not about putting people off. I mean, you hear many stories, don't you, where people said, oh, I can never go on a boat again because I had a bad experience, you know, with my dad or whatever it was, you know, something terrible happened. And I can understand how that would totally transform the whole situation. But the, but no, it, it, it worked out. We spent a few days in pool. We got the boat sorted out. We, yeah. we, we, we learned and we talked about the whole issue. And then we went on and we had an amazing summer, didn't we? That yeah, actually worked actually really well. actually we picked up the lobster pot, didn't we? And we had photographs taken. We took <laughs> photographs of the girls with the, lo- you know, with the pot. And 
Yeah, I mean the, the whole the, thing. But I mean, not, the fisherman, not the actual not the pot, pot, no, the, but the, the, fish, the yeah, uh, boy. I mean, I mean, the fisherman would not have been that happy about that. But, uh, but, that was, <laughs> but well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But that the was, needs <laughs> must. Anyway, that was what it was. But I mean, what I'm saying is, is well, that there's a whole. Cover, it was green. No, I mean that was the reason why we couldn't see it because it was. It was it was it was dreadlocked in 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 weed yeah. and and it was literally underwater. But the tide runs. You know, th- th- there was all kinds of reasons as to why it happened. And of course. I clearly wasn't looking out well enough, you know. So the point is, is, but at night, these things happen. If you're sailing at night, you can't see any of this stuff, you know. So, you know, these things do happen. Um, mm-hmm. So it's lessons learned. What would I have done differently? Maybe I should have put, put a pan-pan call out. I didn't, I didn't alert the authorities. Maybe I should have done. You know, it wasn't a situation where we needed assistance. It's just the fact that we should have probably said, well, we are in this little pickle. Maybe we should be alerting people to the fact that we're out there, you know, because things can then progress to a much bigger type of situation. I mean, if I was overboard and I smashed my head under the boat or something, you know, that would have turned into a different, a different scenario. But, but again, you live and learn, don't you? You yeah. live and learn from these things. And, and we it, survived it and everybody was fine and we came out of it and we're always looking for lobster. <laughs> I think that's it. And I, I don't want to, you know, spend too long over analysing it, but I am, it, it's that idea of, well, sometimes we have to call for rescue. Sometimes it's just the right thing to do. But when you expose yourself to these sorts of environments so regularly, things are going to go wrong. That is the cold, hard truth of it. And actually a little bit of self-reliance goes quite a long way. See, yeah, but it's knowing when to when to call help, isn't it? It's knowing how far you can push it on your own without without asking for help too early, which obviously diverts essential resources, but actually then saying, well, this is a sensible time to actually engage and actually say, I need some assistance. But... But I think the next, you know, the, the, the other big thing that happened, we went aground in North France um, in Pampol, which is a French, you know, Northern Brittany uh, fishing village. And you, you probably know the tides there are massive. I mean, spring tide difference can be 14 meters between low and high water. It's a ridiculous difference. And of course, you know, I, again, I, you, you know, you break the golden rule, which is entering a, entering a harbor on a falling tide. But I was getting a little bit confident. You know, and that was the problem. You know, you, the moment you become overconfident in anything, it's when nature then bites you in the arse. And, uh, and that, was, that was what happened. And we ended up in the French papers. It was a complete ridiculous scenario. It really was, you know. I mean, the French, the French paper thing was quite interesting. English yachtsmen yeah. basically mucks it up, which is, it was true. I, I made a complete hornix of the whole thing. But, you know, you, again, you live and learn. So it's, I suppose it's a bit like riding a horse. If you don't fall off, you're probably not trying hard enough in some respects. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, we had some interesting moments and you, the whole idea of sailing, I think, you know, you're trying to constantly make less, less of those moments happen um, as you progress with the family. Um, and, uh, that, and we had an, we had some amazing time with great memories over the years with the children on board yeah, we have. as young adults and um, amazing. So we've got down to, you know, Northwest Galicia, we're down the West coast of France, over to Ireland. You know, we've done, we've done a lot of sailing in, in, in amazing places so yeah it sounds it i think it's it's interesting you know for you karen in a sense because you could have just said i'm not doing this anymore you know you go sailing when you want to on the weekends or once a year you can go on a trip or whatever but i'm not doing this why didn't that happen i I suppose i quite like a little bit of adventure myself (laughs) but don't tell him that (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um do you know what i think it was really good for the girls as well you, you do learn a lot you know and respect respect the sea and 
you know, the weather can change in a moment. And also just being alert and looking and just being there, you know, just being there, watching. But also it tells you, it, it, trained, it, it teaches you an awful lot about human interaction and relationships and you know, you actually meet people, extraordinary people. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're sailing a dinghy or a 120-foot super yacht. It's not, it's irrelevant. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, the sea's the sea and, you know, we can all get into trouble. And actually, you you meet, as you as I'd imagine you would in any um, uh, outdoor activity pursuit, you meet amazing people. Yeah. Yeah, I think as we start to talk about, you know, the Hebrides and that sort of side of the journey, I think we'll come on to that in detail, but... Before we do and, and go there, um, I'd really like to ask you about kind of doing these sorts of activities um, as a couple, because I think it's a different dynamic. It's not something I've done in terms of real, you know, big grand adventure. Um, I do that with my friends or my colleagues, whatever. And the relationships formed there are sort of indescribable, what can happen over such a short period of time. In, in a kind of, you know, romantic, lifelong partner style relationship, how has that affected your relationship, good or bad? I think I think it strengthened it. Do you not? Would you not agree? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Do I don't. I I'm not sure I'd want to do it with anybody else <laughs> because I completely trust him a hundred percent on his choices um, and his capability of sailing. I I'm not sure I would want to do it with anybody else. But then I'm very aware of the fact that we do things. I mean, if we're making decisions about what we're going to do, I'm always thinking about the fact that you're on board, you know, so we're not going to push it. We're not going to, you know, with, with a couple of male friends on board, we might sail in certain conditions where, you know, we would just all agree that we're, we're comfortable doing it. The boat will do it and the boat's capable of doing it. But the question is, you know, if everyone on board is comfortable doing it, then we'll do it. But with Karen on board, I will absolutely, not because she's not capable, it's just I don't want to put her into a situation that she becomes extremely uncomfortable in. But there have been times where we've had to push on and... Yeah, you've got to... You've got, you've, and yeah, I, you yeah. know, but I understand that it is going to be a bit lumpy or... I mean, when we went to the Pharaohs, that was... Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's a classic example, actually. The sail from um, Shetland or Unst on the northeast coast of Shetland uh, to to the Faroes. I mean, that's about 285-odd miles, um, nautical miles. And so it's quite a long, it's quite a long bit of water. And uh, it's quite, it's quite a ferocious bit of water as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's North Atlantic. It's, we were doing it in late August, so it wasn't daylight all the time and you know so there was an element of darkness coming in for about six hours at that point um the forecasts are amazing the, the the you know the wind forecasts and the apps you can use nowadays are just incredible from the point of view of actually seeing how the wind is going to be over the next 24 hours or longer um but of course forecasts are forecasts and you know they don't they don't always pan out and you know we knew that this particular wind, when we left Shetland, it was actually quite punchy. It was, you know, it was gusting a four seven, possibly eight, you know, so gale force gusts. Um, but you know, roughly in the right direction. And we're you know, so we head out north of Shetland, and the sea gets pretty big. 
but the forecast was for it to only last like a few hours and then it was going to, you know, the wind was going to back and then it was going to calm down and come on. And it, you know, it went on for 20 hours, <laughs> 20 hours it went on for. Um, that wasn't really great. And that work. was quite hard work. But Karen was extraordinary because that was, you know, we were meant to have somebody else with us who was going to join us for that particular leg. That didn't happen for, you know, because life happens. Um, and uh, it was a question of, well, do we do this? But of course, it was the first time that Karen actually had to be on deck, actually on her, well, on her own. I was actually five foot away in with a lid lifted on a bunk, you know, down below. But, you know, we were, we were sharing the, the time up top. And it was, you know, it, it is very different when you're, when you're charging along at eight, nine knots with 24 tons of boat into darkness. Not- There's no headlights on, you know, it must be quite freaky for Karen because for me, that's quite normal. It's like I've done tens of thousand miles like that. But for Karen, it was the first time that she was left on deck. The boat's tanking along. There's quite a big sea. Um, and it was it was a bit freaky. Yeah. So, but she did but you, so you well. You have to really not think about the things that might go wrong <laughs> and really just think about more positive things like, yeah, we're going to get there. It's, you know... It's, it's okay. Um, we've got the birds with us. We've got the birds following us. That's a good sign. <laughs> I think I, I find it so fascinating. I mean, there's the whole gender thing we could talk about, which is maybe relevant. But I think what I'm sort of getting from this is that predominantly it's Mark's passion. You know, it stems from that. I mean, Karen, has it become yours or are you doing it because you love being with him whilst he does it? Yeah, definitely the latter, I think. <laughs> It's 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 um it's never going to become my passion if I'm honest because mm. it's not something I would go out and do on my own, um, mm. or I would I I wouldn't do it with a bunch of girls either. Um, I feel happy doing it with Mark um, because we've been doing it for so long, I suppose, and we ju- we actually do work very well as a team, don't we, on the boat? I don't I don't have to ask for anything um, in terms of you know Karen knows where to go, she knows where to be, she knows you know she just knows. You know, and she hasn't got formal qualifications. She's not like a sort of, you know, a yacht master or ocean skipper or anything along those lines. But I don't have to say much. You know, she knows exactly where to be at what point in time, which is invaluable, you know, when you've got something happening. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great segue into the project because I think it's this, it, and I'm going to ask you to explain it, but it sounds like this great kind of positive role reversal of the boat becomes the conduit for accessing Karen's project. Absolutely. So and that, could, that was the whole point of this whole um, journey that we've done was, you know, we've got this, when you stand back for a minute and look at what resources you have, we have this ridiculous thing called the boat. And, um, you know, we might as well use it. You know, it's crazy. I mean, it's there. You can do, the boat will go anywhere. You know, it will go anywhere and do anything. As long as it's maintained properly, it will do what you want it to do. And therefore, we might as well use this, this, this freedom traveling device to, you know, to, to get us to remote locations, which, I mean, these, these horses tend to be in remote locations. And so it, it just seemed like a logical connection. And so, you know, and we didn't have to really, I mean, yes, we did leave the country technically because we bounced off Southern Ireland, you know, and we went to the Faroes. But apart from that, we were in the UK. I think it, yeah. Well, no, before I go into all that, I'm going to ask you to tell me what the, what was the point and what was the plan? What's the end goal and the method? Okay. Well, 
the point of it, I suppose, was we'd already done the um, Scotland, hadn't we? A long time ago. Uh, yeah, in the Hebrides. Mm. Um, and we we had kept saying that we wanted to go back there. And I photographed horses on the Isle of Muck when when we were there. And it was just beautiful. And I, I said to Mark, I said, I would really like to go to Eriskay and Rum and um, Harris and photograph the horses that are roaming on those islands. So um, he said, well, you tell me where they are and I'll take you. It was a great opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the it's the twin passion, well, right? Like, I could it see was. him thinking, now, how many places could we get to and how yeah. far could we get? You know, mm. he, there was even talk about going to Iceland um, to photograph the Icelandic horses. And, uh, and I, I said, well, let's just see how far we go. Let, mm. Let's just start with the Outer Hebrides. And, you know, and then we, we decided we go to the Shetlands as well mm. to photograph the Shetland ponies. And, um, and then... And then went on to the Faroes. Which is only 300 odd miles from Iceland. So, you know, we, we were getting there. I sort of <laughs> wondered if you'd comment on it. There's always next year. We couldn't quite <laughs> make it in time, could we, Mark? As Matt said, there's always another year. There's another year. <laughs> yeah. So I think, again, context is key. I'm going to ask a deliberately stupid question. So what are wild horses and why are they there? Well, they're um, they're actually... They're not wild as such. They're roaming and they're all owned um, by people. Um, and But they're just allowed to roam on the islands free, mm. freely, um, which is really what I wanted to do to photograph them in their own environment, um, just roaming. But unfortunately, the, the Faroese ponies, they stopped them from roaming about two years ago, and now they're all all in paddocks. And but the but the Faroese pony story is extraordinary because there were only there were only four left a few years ago, and their their own genetic you know genetic breed. And uh, then we met this extraordinary woman out there um, called the um, the horse lady. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> she has got another name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Changed by deed poll. <laughs> But, but yeah. she single-handedly uh, saved the breed. Yeah, she's she? brought them back, and and now I think Amazing. they they've um, they've got funding. Yeah, they have recently. Yeah, re- very re- very recently, um, they've had an anonymous person fund fund them to, you know. Yeah, but I think I think the, the, the but to go back to your original question, what was the point of all this? Yes. Um. So I mean, eventually, I want to have an exhibition. Yeah of some of the photographs that I've taken. Mm. Such a and I think, project. you know, humans love stories, don't they? And I think the sailing can actually be the backdrop to this, which is, well, actually, here are some images of us doing this, getting from A to B. And, and actually, I think the differentiator here is that none of this was set up for you. You know, it's none of it is organized by somebody locally bringing animals into a particular location. The biggest, the biggest problem find was finding them. these animals. I mean, that was a oh, nightmare. We walked miles. I mean, rum, if you take rum, rum, I don't know where you know rum, but rum's very yep. mountainous and there's very few people on there and it's huge. And, and, you know, we talked to locals and 
they said, well, they're on that side or they're on this side. And that was like, so we had you to know, take a 50, gamble. And that was like eight to nine miles away. But you're talking very rough walking. <laughs> and we, we literally did a 15 to 16 mile yeah, walk. We started to, at five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And um, came back at midnight. But of course, it was light in mid June. Yeah, sure. So that was the saving grace. But what I'm saying is finding the animals was extraordinarily complex. It was the hardest part. And Eriske, yeah, you know, we, we it could was have, misty we, and raining. and We could have missed them. We could actually have not found them. Yeah. But I think this is like, what's going through my head is like the romance and the beauty of a project like this in a place, in a country, a nation that we don't consider it to be devoid of adventurous opportunity, but we definitely don't think it's full of adventure. I think actually, you know, again, I've been to a few of the islands you've referenced for work and to my shame, I would not do this now, but I've I've flown to Glasgow, I've hired a car, I've got on the ferries, I've gone over there, I've, you know, done the thing I was there to do and I've come home again. Mm. Yeah. All very easy and not particularly adventurous, even with the work that I do. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this is, you know, we're talking a lot more about slow travel on the podcast these days and I yeah. get that not everybody can do it, no. but surely that was part of the beauty of this. You know, it's taken so long to get here and now we can't find the bloody things. Yes. No, you've you've nailed it. You've nailed that point. That emotion is is quite extraordinary, you know. Yeah, we've got there and now we've got to find them. And the more we did it, the more we realised the hard part was actually finding them. Yeah. I mean, in Eriske, I I wasn't 100% sure that we would find them. I mean, we were climbing up and down and up and down and then all of a sudden I looked up and there was just this this one head looking at me. But the elation of finding them is and very they hard. All appeared very for hard some to reason. describe. Actually, it was, yeah, mm. it was like it was meant to be. But they they found us actually. I think. But the journey, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but it was it was. But the journey is yes, you are. You're traveling at ten miles an hour. Let's let's call it ten miles an hour. It's not exactly quick, and. Uh, you know, hence the journey from Shetland to Faroes was 38 hours at sea. It's a long time. It's a long time. Well, one thing we haven't actually, I think I know the answer, but where did you start? Well, we started, we started actually, home port is, is Yarmouth on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, it's a long way away. Yeah, it is. And, and, we, and we, we just did it in chunks, you know, down the... Down, we, we, we didn't know whether we were going to go east or west to start with, so that was all dictated on weather systems and, you know, high pressures, low pressures, what the, what the forecast was going to be over sort of 10 days-ish, you know, so it's very loose when it gets that far out. But you can sort of see how pressure systems are going to sit and how the jet stream is shaping up. And, you know, so we made the decision to go west, so we had to go down around Land's End, obviously, which was great. And there were there were horses down there, yeah. actually, you know, down at Penzance, which, you know, we we used the opportunity. Then we went up round, um, up to Padstow, Padstow to Lundy. Lundy's got some free roaming animals on there. Um, up to Wales, you know, the southwest tip of Wales. Yeah, Lundy uh, was amazing. Yeah, it was. It? Lundy was an yeah. extraordinary place. It, it would have been nice to have spent a little bit more time at Lundy, but we had to go because the weather wasn't... There was all kinds uh, of weather. You're always thinking about, you know, can we get to there and what's the next leg and are we going to have that wet, you know, that window of opportunity to be able to get there because obviously you're sailing. Um, so we then, Yeah, sometimes we only had like a few hours yes. to get off the boat, look for the horses and get back before... Um, before darkness, 
Well, you... actually, it was dark, wasn't it? <laughs> when we got back. <laughs> no, often, often it was. All wind was coming in and you had to move from yeah. the location you were in. Like Eriskay, we had to get out. Yes. Because yes. there was a uh, there coming. was a storm coming. So, I mean, you know, it... Sorry. You can... Yeah, go on. Uh, so so that that was um it, it was great because then you know heading across to Ireland was on purpose because the winds were coming from the west and we knew that if we went up the east coast of Ireland we were protected um by sheltered by mainland Ireland, which is just, you know, rather than going up the Welsh coast, which would have been very exposed. So you're 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 using land masses, uh countries in this instance, to actually shelter you from, you know, the winds and actually to get from A to B. Yeah, I mean, pure, I was going to say it's such a pure form of travel, but I suppose in the sense it isn't, but it's not like <laughs> walking, but um, it's got to be one of the most romantic kind of beauty. I mean, I'm just sat here going, oh God, I need a boat. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, it, it is freedom, Matt. I mean, I, honestly, there's no, there's no, there's very little regulation about where you can go and can't go. You know, yes, there's some, anchor zones and stuff where you wouldn't want to be, you know, disrupting seahorses in a particular area. I understand that. But but to be honest with you, you can drop a hook anywhere. You know, you can be anywhere. You are your own master. You don't even need qualifications to sail. That's We've anchored in some amazing places. I mean, places that are just ridiculous. I mean, just, just jaw-dropping. You know, you think, you actually wonder if the rest of the world is just something's happened because there's no one around. And you can sail, honestly, up in Scotland and North Scotland. And not see another. You, you can sail 70 miles in a day and not see a single other human being. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's not like being in, you know, Italy or Greece or somewhere where. No. There's no one around. I mean, honestly, and that's peak season. You know, that's the time when, in theory, there's most, most boats there. But obviously that throws challenges in because if things go wrong from a mechanical perspective, you haven't got access to repairs or the ability so we lost our bow thruster you know which happened right up on the northwest tip of scotland um and you know that doesn't sound like a big issue but she's a 24 ton boat and when it's windy and you're not got enough uh, forward motion you can lose the bow very quickly and of course that's when you start to damage other people's boats which is not particularly friendly and you know you sort of don't want to be out of control in a, in a in a in an environment where you're close to other other boats so you know you have to a bounce thrust is there for a reason to keep control and so it was you know challenges like that which you'd expect you know stuff's going to break you know things are going to go wrong. They have to because there's constant repairs needed to keep a boat like that going. Um, and we did. We had our fair share of that. I mean, the last leg, which, you know, we 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 ultimately had to leave the boat in Amble up in um, northeast England uh, above Newcastle. And um, that's because we had major engine failure. You know, we three days of taking the engine to bits, trying to work out what was going on. We had, dodge, we had a dodgy, dodgy fuel intake somewhere on the line. And um, it just ripped the heart of the engine out. I mean, literally, the engine, the the diesel burner for warmth, the generator, it all packed up, you know, because of one tank of diesel that was wrong. And it was, I learned an awful lot. We learned an awful lot about, about diesel engines. But how much does this add to it all rather than detract from it? I know it adds to it. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely adds to it. You... You end up doing things that you wouldn't wouldn't have 
done, I suppose, wouldn't you? And met the people that we've met. It's incredible you the know, people we met. Um, incredible. And the, everybody's there to help you. The seafaring community are... Amazing. They are amazing, but I'm sure lots of different communities are amazing. It's just that, you, you know, you go into Tayport, which we'd never been into, just on the other side of the river to Dundee, and it's a minuscule little harbour. And, you know, yet you talk to the harbour master and he will stop at nothing to help you get out of trouble. So they then find somebody who can then shift their entire week's work, you know, from an engineering perspective in order to help us out. I mean, extraordinary stuff. I wonder, this is a question sort of posed as a statement, but to what extent, because I hear this a lot about different communities in the sort of outdoor and adventure world, but also other worlds. I wonder how much it comes down to this this kind of kinship, this kindred spirit thing and respect. You know, they see you coming in in adverse weather and they think, oh, they're like us. Those guys are like us. Let's do yeah. what we can. Yeah, you think right. I think there is an element of that. Certainly in the Pharaohs, when they see you land in the Pharaohs, they go, there is that element of respect for you because you've actually got 280-odd miles across quite, you know, quite a an inhospitable piece of water, you know, on your own. And uh, so they sort of they sort of think that you've earned the right to to arrive, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And also the the Orkneys as well, sailing around those waters. There were, it was all incredible. I mean, I, I honestly it is it is there's so much to see and do up there. You could sail up there for decades and never mm, do the same thing yeah. twice. I mean, it's just unbelievable from that perspective. I just think I hear, and I, I'm worried that I have this like naive approach. To, I've spent a lot of time on the west coast of Scotland with uh, with a climbing background and climbing filmmaking. But yeah. I mean, I know one fairly famous rock climber, you know, famous in climbing worlds, mm. who he used to travel internationally all the time. He's a guy called Dave McLeod, and now he's just got this little dinghy, as in a, literally a dinghy, yeah. and he just goes and finds new bits of rock that nobody has ever even thought about climbing, and he climbs them and. West Coast of Ireland's the same. I mean, the guy there, Ian Miller, said he thinks there's a hundred lifetimes of first ascent rock climbing to be done from a kayak. I mean, that is unbelievable, isn't it? So that's but isn't yeah. that isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because you don't, as we said right at the beginning of this conversation, you don't have to get on an international flight to go to fancy places to to experience unbelievable things. And I think that's that, that's what we've been so lucky to experience. Yeah, it has been this this I adventure, mean, which you know, quite a few people have been. For some reason, interested in two, you know, two grandparents sailing around the UK, you know, f- trying to trying to find some free roaming animals. I mean, it's like, well, really, is that really something that anybody wants to talk about? But there's lots of people wanting to 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 hear the story, which is extraordinary. Well, if I may comment on why I was interested, is because it's different. That's what I'm always looking for. You know, you kind of go, I, I've interviewed a few sailors, sure. I've interviewed some of the, you know, like people like Dee Kafari, you know, one of the greatest sailors in the world. I mean, she's amazing. But it's just, I love this contrast. And this it's this connection, actually, between your desire, Mark, to go and sail through wild, in inverted commas, places, remote places. Mm-hmm. And you, Karen, with this ambition to go and photograph wild animals, essentially. Like, they... Those two things are completely different, but they're totally compatible. Hmm. But but also um, moments of when the clouds opening up on on an island or so over an island, and the and the hmm. the light coming through. Um, it's just photographing those sort of things as well. You know, hmm. things that happen within 
seconds and you think, oh my gosh, grab my camera. You know, I've got to, I've got to photograph that. Um, or just a, a ship in the distance. Um, again, it's all about the light, to be honest. And the light in Scotland is unbelievable. Well, I think uh, that's what makes Scotland so special is, and I think this yeah. comes back to the slow travel thing, is you can't just drop in and bag it. No. You know, you have to fight for it and earn it. And when it's beautiful, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. It's There's like no one like it. I no. don't know what I've experienced like it. No. Um, but, no, it is. It's, it's, it's a privilege to be out there. But we are, we are enjoying the world and what it delivers because we are traveling. You know, it is about the journey. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yes, you know, and having the dolphins with us and swimming at the bow and well, even if they're not swimming at the bow and you see them in the distance, you know, it's... Yes. And the odd whale pops its, you know, back up. It's, it's, it is. It's a privilege to be out there. It's a genuine privilege to be out there. And we're very lucky that we can, we can experience, you know, we've got the skills to go out there and navigate it and do it. Mm. Um, but actually... It is accessible to many people because you don't have to own a half million pound boat. You know, you can you can you can literally buy a dinghy, as this gentleman is, who's you know this climber you talked about. Um, you know, you can buy secondhand. I mean, the first boat I sailed, the the, the boat I sailed across Atlantic in was probably worth about eight thousand pounds. Yeah, um, it, it was a twenty-seven foot Trintella built in the nineteen sixties. You know. Boat yards are full of these boats. Yeah, and I think you know these these conversations can get extremely complicated, and sometimes they should around access to nature and the natural world and the reality of inner city Manchester being next to the Peak District. Well, for lots of people, that's still not accessible because X, Y, Z. Absolutely. But so with that disclaimer, there, you know, eight grand will sell your car if you want to go that badly. You to know. be honest with you, yes. And and so there are all kinds of options, boat shares, where, you know, you basically, you, you, you chip in altogether. Um, there's lots of ways. And just dinghies, dinghies now. I mean, some of the dinghies are extraordinary. I mean, the bigger dinghies, you know, are really extraordinary. So I think there's, there's always a way you can access this stuff if you're hell-bent on doing it. Yeah, for sure. One, one thing I really wanted to ask you, which is slightly tangential, is um, did you set a time limit? Good question. I mean, we had to get, we wanted to get the boat back, didn't we? Ba yeah. Basically, we knew we'd, let, we'd leave in April, the idea being that it would be a little bit warmer. Um, the light, also the light, the daylight, really the, it's the daylight. That's the, you know, the issue, having longer hours of daylight to be able to come into new places, not in the dark, which is, you know, it's ideal to not do that. Um, especially when you're anchoring or going into a harbour or something like that. Um, so we sort of said, really, it was going to be six months, didn't we? Yeah. Over a six-month window, yeah. we were going to spend X amount of time on board, split up in the way that we talked about earlier. Um, and we were trying to get the boat back, but just through the way things worked out and other family commitments and bits and pieces, we we just left that getting the boat back a little bit too late, and then we ended up we ended up in Storm Babette, which was absolutely unbelievable yeah um i mean that we were we were up it's quite exciting it was. <laughs> nice photos. yeah we were up, <laughs> we were up in peterhead um which is just north of aberdeen um where they had that red weather warning it was just bizarre that we were right there at the time 
And uh, but it was it was a fascinating time. Uh, Seventy hours, the wind blew just crazy. It, it was relentless. It just went on and on, didn't it? It was incredible. It really was. I mean, normally storms. You know, I've been through lots of storms, but storms. You know, they 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 oh, last okay. at, a, at a ferocious level for about six to ten hours, and then they sort of die off. You know, you sort of pass through it. This just went on and on and on. Mm. But but no, it was a, it was a, we sort of got one storm after the other, and that was sort of nature, the universe telling us that you know you're not going south, you're not. Yeah, you're not going to, you know, you think you want to get the boat back, but this isn't, you know, it's just a, the jet stream was set in a way that it was set. And, you know, what do you do about it? I mean, is it worth pushing on and terrifying Karen that, you know, it's not? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like slow down. You're not in charge. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's something was yeah. telling us. It's, yeah. Find an alternative, you know, thought process here. And yeah. that's what, exactly what we did. We found a family run marina up in Amble. They're delightful. I think there's always a reason yeah. for these things, you yeah. know? And I think you need to listen to the universe. Well, we're narrative creatures, aren't we? We we look yeah. for a reason and we find it. And we, you know, we've had an amazing six months, however long it ended up being. And maybe yeah. now we're approaching done. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, yeah. we didn't close the circle. You know, we the idea was to get back to Yarmouth. Maybe maybe it's because the circle wasn't supposed to be closed. Exactly. Exactly. But also, you know, what happens from here? You know, we're already up north, so you know, yeah. Norway's not that far away. well this is it as well i think that you know we choose i don't mean i'm not going to turn this into a self-help podcast god forbid but um we choose how we react you know you could be really deeply affected by not going door to door or you could tell yourself that that was maybe that was part of plan c or the third objective but actually did you photograph the horses you know it's the mountaineering cliche come back alive come back friends get to the top yeah, <laughs> you know, in that order. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. sounds like you kind of nailed it. Yeah, I think, I think that's where I come in, isn't it? Really, because I, I'll, I'll be the one that says, "Do you know what? It doesn't matter." No, Karen's very good at at providing a sane alternative view. Yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite mission he, accomplished, you know, like, uh, mission fixed, yeah. you know. And I'll, and I'll be the one that says, do you know what? We don't have to do this. I think every bold, audacious person needs to be tempered by a realist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Karen's very good at that, very good at that. So I have to rein him in. Yeah. So again, I mean, it's tangential, but going back, I'm interested in, um, I'm a filmmaker and photographer, as you know, and... I just wonder to what extent having certain time constraints, you know, two hours on Lundy or only two days on whichever island, did that inhibit your ability to do the work you want to do? Or did it, was it part of the work? This, I have to get what I can get. Uh, it's part of the work. I have to get what I can get. Um, I might come away a little bit, um, Oh, I wish I could just have a little bit more time. But you know what? I think if I had two days, I'd still want a third day. So I have to be grateful that I've got what I have. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, with the, with the pharaohs, the whole thing, the whole window of opportunity to be there was entirely weather-dependent. Because, you know, we could have got stuck there. My My... My worry was, you know, we could have been stuck there for a month, you know, if the winds went the wrong direction because, you know, there's 
you, you, you've got to travel that distance across the ocean and you've got to have the reasonable, you know, the, the, the weather conditions have got to be sort of right. Yeah. Uh, so getting there was one thing, but how long we were going to be there for, we had no idea at that particular point in time. Did we? Yeah. You know, it so was, it with was... my photography, I had to just basically use the time that I had. And also I couldn't, I was unable to say, okay, we're here. I need to wait until some, you know, that golden hour or in the morning. It just wasn't, wasn't possible for me to do that, no. to have the time to work out when the light was going to be best or, you know, this day would be better over these next mm. five days. Let's go here or there. And we didn't really know what to expect once we got to the places that we wanted to go to. Um, mm. So I, I, I just had to make the most of what I had. Yeah. I had, I had to work with what I had. There's what a simplicity to that, I guess. Like just uh, I get what I get and then we're off. Yeah, yeah, yes. I would have liked longer. But wouldn't but, we all always? Yeah. But, it was but, like, but like I say, you know, if I'd had two days, I, want, I would have wanted another third day. Yeah. So, you know, if I had three hours, I'd want four hours. Yeah. So, and when it comes... Know, go on, sorry. It was like on Uns. You know, Uns was a perfect example of we literally hunted the island for these horses. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. And we, we couldn't find anything. It was just not ponies, happening. Yeah. These ponies, yeah. Um, and it just, we just couldn't find them. And, and it turned out that they were right next to the boat. Yeah. But we hadn't seen them. You know? And they were, I say next to the boat, they were, they were on the Up mountain. on the hill, uh, you know, beyond the yeah. boat. And we'd been sort of looking in, you know, traveling all over the island trying to find these animals. Yet, if we'd just taken more time to talk to people locally, we would have actually Found worked out. this out. Yeah. And I think it was a really big lesson. You know, it's just like we charge off thinking, oh, it's going to be down here. And, you know, and then it's actually what you need to do is sometimes take a moment just to in, engage with the locals and just ask a few questions. And once we'd asked, it was the guy, it was the guy yeah. down at the pier yeah. that we were helping on his boat. And he said, oh, yeah, they're just up they're, there. They're just up there. <laughs> That's so classic. Just like binoculars out. Oh yes, I can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah. But I think there's yeah, there's two sides to that, isn't there? One is you know local knowledge is everything, um, but the other is if you had found them all within half an hour of leaving the boat. Yeah. No. True. Absolutely. So uh, absolutely the point. But yeah. But the evening before we we found that out, we were really deflated about you know wow we've come to this island and there's nothing yeah, here. Everybody said they were just yeah. walking on the road. <laughs> What are we doing wrong? And not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And with the, with the sailing, um, I, mean, I should give you some context to this. So I did a, a small, very small sailing trip to access a mountain in Alaska at the start of this summer. And the, the skipper who we'd hired, who was living in Alaska on this amazing, you know, sort of um, hardened boat because of those waters, we were under motor for four and a half days because of the weather. Wow. Um, to what extent were you purists in the, well, if we're not sailing, we're not moving, versus, hey, we just need to get there? No. I mean, there was, um, it, again, it was all to do with the weather windows and getting to places. So, yes, we did motor sail. And often you, when you're sailing from, I mean, the classic one is actually from Shetland to Faroes, for example, 
huge mileage um, and there are tidal windows, you know, to, I mean, the tides around the Faroes are notorious. I mean, big ships have lost funnels and um, lifeboats off the side on the back of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's some really famous stories about things going wrong. And, you, you know, you, so they, they, the Faroese are extraordinary because they, they're, they're so sort of into technology. And so they have an app which you can download and, you know, you can store the images if you haven't got access, obviously you're not going to have access to the, you know, to, to the phone network when you're out there. And so you can store all the images of where you, it very clearly shows on graphics where you do not want to be at what point in time. <laughs> um, and so, but you've got to consider these. So when you leave, you know, tides um, in, in, in this part of the world do play a huge role in getting from A to B. And of course, you therefore do have to work out average boat speed and say to yourself, right, well, we passage plan at, let's say, six knots, you know, reality of six knots, and we've got to travel this distance, and we need to be here at this, in, within these, you know, this, this particular window of time in order to be safe and get in. Um, and so you are trying to maintain boat speed. So a really long-winded way of answering that is to say, well, okay, yes, we started off from Shetland actually really flying along because the wind was really strong and it went on for longer than we thought. But then the wind died. It completely died to virtually nothing. And um, as we got within 100 miles of the Faroes, and uh, it became foggy and you couldn't see where you're going. And therefore, you know, we, and we also... Oh, the fog came down on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and, you know, also running an engine is a great way to to maintain battery systems when you're running radar and you're running lights and, you know, you've got all kinds of things on board that you need to maintain. So we would then put the engine on and we would try and sail as much as possible. But if you're not, if you're sailing at four knots and you're not doing six knots, we need to make six knots. So we just use the engine to make the difference up. Yeah. How long have you been home? Um... My God, so we came home about three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. How's that been? Well, we've yeah. been busy, haven't we? So well, just... Yeah, but, but, but you know, I, I mean, I'm, the boat needs attention because, you know, all this dodgy diesel, I'm trying to sort that out. Um, and so we're, we're sort of, I'm trying to work out how we learn from the experience that we just had because if we're going to push further north, next time we're not going to have access to some friendly engineer in Tayport to help us yeah get out of this mess and uh, and actually i'm trying to on the back of the experience trying to build a resilient and um, you know learn from from the experience and actually build a far more resilient system which we're doing with the inputs of some unbelievable experts it's amazing how there's somebody who knows everything about something out there yeah um you just got to find them and um and we found you know captain diesel basically who is you know means we can polish our own fuel at sea which is unbelievable something i never even thought about you know you just basically put it into a circular system through specialist um filters and you can you can you can make sure that this never happens again but you know I, didn't, I wasn't aware of these systems. I thought I was doing for 18 years. I'd been sort of cleaning my own fuel, doing all the right things, using the right additives and all that sort of stuff. So you sort of think you get, you know, you're in, you're in control and you're clearly not. So again, a long-winded answer to your question is I'm, I'm quite 
occupied trying to resolve the problems that we need to resolve at this point in time since being back home. And I've got my land legs back. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, we're, and we are. We are talking about what happens next, aren't we? So yeah. we're looking forward to the next... We're, um, we're, we're probably pop, pop back and visit the boat over Christmas, check she's okay and... Yeah, we'll bring her. We'll bring her. We'll probably. We probably will bring her down south for all kinds of other reasons, family reasons, and the rest of it. Um, April time. So, you know, that will probably be the the, the next step. But but your mind does go back to where you've been, what you've been doing, and then you start looking at what you're doing. And <laughs> well, I, I think you look at the modern world and yeah. and the sort of hamster wheel that we're all on, and it's sort of. The fact that you we, we've been we've been lucky enough to to experience being out there on our own. This, no. Yeah, I mean it's completely it's 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 what I think humans were designed to do is to be not tethered to a desk or a job or whatever it is, but actually to be out there experiencing the world in all its glory. But how we do that, of course, is through our own different mechanisms of experiencing the things we experience. Yeah, and it sounds from what you're saying like you guys have got this pretty dialed and clearly you talk about it, but I think people struggle to different degrees with coming back or not at all. I mean, I, as I often say when I have this conversation with people, I do struggle. It's just sort of something I know about myself. I need to decompress. Have yeah. you struggled to decompress? Are you pining for that simpler life aboard or do you know that it'll come back and now you're back in the house and that's that? I think, I think eventually it will come back. Um, I think at the moment we've got um, lots of other things going on, uh, which sort of takes your mind away from what we've been doing. Um, yeah, there's sort of family, the family, family, close family health issues. You know, there's there's lots of things that life, you know, clearly will throw into the equation. Um, and parents are at the age now where things are starting to not necessarily. Well, my stepdad, he's um, fighting motor neuron disease at the moment. Oh, so God. Sorry. He, yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, there's just lots of other things that are needing our attention yeah. right now. Which yeah. is understandable. So, uh, yeah. Life but, has a habit of flinging a curveball. so lucky that yeah. we've been able to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, you said, <laughs> you just said it boldly, Mark. I'm going to ask the question though. Like, are you going to go further north? Yeah, and, and you know, I would be amazed if Karen didn't didn't accept the challenge. <laughs> I have to say, I, I've been to Iceland four or five times, and I've n never done a trip there where the horses haven't run alongside the car. Really? God. Yeah. My God. So I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> we, we we were just up there too late this summer. We we could have possibly pushed on, but. You know, other people inspire no, I think, you all the time. I think we have to start earlier and just push on yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, And then spend, spend a lot of time there. That would be amazing. Yeah. I have a habit of being pretty glass half full, which is, I think it's just fortunate rather than by design. But I just think if you had gone there, you'd have just, you'd have, you'd have nipped up there, nipped up there, yeah. done your it thing and come back. Enough. Now you've got to do it all again. You've got to do, you've got to do it all again, exactly. And yeah. so, so there is totally that. Totally that. And the journey will be completely different because it always is. Yeah. You know, the second time round. Yeah. First time round. It doesn't matter how many times you do it, it will be different. I mean, we may well even go up the East Coast this time as opposed to up the West Coast. And that's a completely different journey. So, 
there is just so much to do out there. There really There's is. so much to do. We've got to get on with it. Well, Quite. <laughs> it's not a dress rehearsal, is it? It's not. No. No, 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 no. Ace, well, um, I mean, I'll draw this to a close. I um, always ask the same two questions at the end of every conversation. And I'll, um, you can take it in turns to answer. I'd like to hear from you both on both, but we'll take it in turns because it might, one might influence the other. So um, I'll start with Mark. Mm. What scares you? I think what scares me is not doing the things that we've just talked about um, enough before life throws a curveball at you. Yeah. It's grabbing the moment because you can always delay the thought of doing something because this is about to happen or, you know, whatever it is. Obviously, you've got to make the decisions within the context of close family relationships and what's going on at home. But at the end of the day, you can easily talk yourself out of these things. Totally. And Karen? Oh, that's a toughie, actually. Are we talking about on sort of sailing or... Interpret it however however you wish. (laughs) Sorry? Interpret it however you wish. Well, in terms of sailing, the thing that would scare me the most is Mark going overboard. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a nice thing to say, rather than that being the thing you're hoping for. <laughs> I, I, I was, yeah, you could just leave me, Karen. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Might be an easy way out. <laughs> and what about outside of sailing? Cool. I actually, I actually find it really difficult to answer that question. I mean, in the in the nicest possible, like lucky you. And <laughs> 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 well, that's amazing. I don't know if anyone's ever said that before. Well, the thing is, I think. I mean, yes, we all get scared, don't we? I mean, just went to. D- Dubai and, and going on uh, on on a buggy on the sand dunes, with my daughter driving. That was quite scary, hmm. you know. But that's I think this not is more like really scared, is it? I mean, um, this is more about life, isn't it? More life. about life. Yeah, I think I think you have to. I I I am quite good at looking at things. It's it's what's meant to be, what's meant to happen. There's always good that comes out of bad I think but we have to look for it we have to open ourselves up for it yeah you're not somebody that gets flustered by things particularly no I'm not well in that case I think and I was going to do this this way around anyway but I think I think it's good and my final question I'll ask you Karen first this time is what brings you hope Do do you want me to nudge you yeah go on then Sophie Oh yes, oh, she is my my granddaughter. <laughs> Do you know it's just the best thing being with her because she takes you away from everything else. She, but she is hope. Just yeah, she is, and we need our youngsters to give us hope, to bring hope, to to yeah. It's, it's it's strange in a way, actually. I mean, I won't make this too much about me, but it. I thought that having kids, and when I had kids, 
I actually thought this is going to be really difficult and I'm going to really struggle. And all of those things have been true, but actually I always struggle to be present. But with my children increasingly, it's where I'm most present. Yeah. And I think that's where you, you, that is so correct because when I am with my granddaughter, I am present in what she's doing the whole time. It is all about her and Mm. spending quality time with her. No, you're right. Yeah. Mark, I'm sensing your answer is probably similar. It it is. I I think, I suppose in a wider context, I know this sounds crazy, but... Mark worries a lot about the state of the world and well going going back going well and... going yeah going back to going back to the first question i suppose as a sort of second answer first i would say what i'm most concerned about is the um is open honest transparent debate about big topics mm. that really does actually scare me mm. yeah um you know the classic mark twain quote it's what you know for sure that just ain't so yeah um, which comes up time and time again, especially in my field, you know, which is essentially medicine. Um, you know, lots of examples of things where people say, well, we know this is the case. Well, I'm sorry, but we don't. Yeah, we think that's the case. And we're very good at getting to the wrong conclusions about a lot of things. So open, honest, transparent debate, which I think we're losing very rapidly, the ability to, to have within society about any topic, doesn't matter what it is, honestly, I think is so fundamental. So, you know, freedom of speech, the ability to think certain things and you know, articulate a particular point of view and maybe change your point of view based on some other reason, judgment coming in or reason view, you know, and actually not being entrenched and fossilized in your particular view, which I think is incredibly dangerous and binary and polarizing and all that sort of stuff. But then to answer the last question, I flip it around the other way. And actually, ironically, I would say that what brings hope is, is humanity because actually whilst humanity is the problem, there are actually a whole raft of people within our species that are just incredible yeah. and doing incredible things and waking a lot of people up to a lot of issues. And and ultimately, the truth shines through. It roars like a lion, doesn't it? I think, yeah, I, I agree with you on everything you just said, but I think ultimately it does, yes, but sometimes it can feel quite sort of well, terrifying, because the, the, the short-term stuff is always terrifying. You know, the loons, yeah. the loons arguing with the loons, and they, there's never any, there's no point to it. They're just shouting at each other. Exactly. So there's no respect, there's no understanding of each other's view, but this is the, you know, the art of debate. Critical thinking used to be taught in schools. You know, why do we not teach critical thinking? The, you know, praising um, you know, my, I've been trained to appraise the methodology of studies. It's like you can critique a study. Who funds it? You know, is there bias? Is there financial bias there? What was the objective? How do they do it? How do they tier the data? What is the p-value? All this statistical nonsense that we talk about. Yeah, You can do all kinds of stuff to, to work out whether something is actually reasonable or not. Well, but, this gets big and heavy in its conversation for another day over a bottle <laughs> of wine sometime, but it took me going to see a therapist for them to teach me that I was trying to win every argument because I was insecure and actually walking into arguments and saying, I hope I'm wrong. I'm trying to learn something here. You know, I'll... Isn't that, and that's, a, that's a wonderful thought process that is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I'm, I hope I'm wrong on lots of things that I've talked to you about. But um, no, it's really interesting actually to hear that. Every day's a school day. <laughs> <laughs>
isn't yeah, it? You know, is. and every day you realize how little you knew the day before. But I think that's the point about becoming entrenched. And in my world, nutritional science world, there's lots of camps, lots of people throwing mud at each other, you know, from the vegans to the carnivores. It doesn't matter where you sit. Yeah, it really doesn't. Well, that I'm, I'm going to press stop in a second and then I'm going to ask you. I'm going to allow myself two minutes and then I'm going to leave you alone because I'm fascinated. Anyway, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. We'll call oh, it thank that. Thank you. Thank you for asking us, Matt. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes. They're a big help and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience.